The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week number 888, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. A worried man with a worried mind, no one in front of me and nothing behind. There's a woman on my lap and she's drinking champagne. That white skin got assassin's eyes I'm looking up into the sapphire skies Hey, this is Josh Flanagan, and I'm here with my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. Yar. 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 <laughs> I, I, I hope you uh, safely uh, got the bounty paid and escaped from Algiers. <laughs> I had a very successful trip. I'll leave it at oh, that. Oh, yes? Yes. Everything has worked out now. I can freely travel the seas. Claimed many prizes and got out from under the thumb of the debtors. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Those debtors, man. This, this is... <laughs> I learned what a sponging house was. How many books are you into that series right now? I'm on the third one, but I'm going fast. We're going through the Aubrey Maturin series. And I read three, like, years and years and years and years ago. The audiobooks, I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first three of them were, like, free and included. And I was like, yeah, sure, let me check this out. And I can't get enough. It's great. And I don't really like I, I keep wanting to tell you, like, here's what just happened. Like Matron was being tortured by the French and he broke into a house and Spanish held Port Mahan. I was like, this is amazing. And he's got two guys that he came from his ship. And one of them is Java Dick. He's from Java. And then uh, what was it John Satisfaction, who was a Chinese man. They gave him the name John Satisfaction. It's fantastic. I know I've read one of those books. Mm hmm. And it was a long time ago. I think it was when the movie came out. And I don't know yeah. which one it was. It, it was either the first one or it was the Master Commander, which was... The 10th. Or the Far Side of the World, which was the 10th one. Yeah, 10th one. I can't imagine it was that one, but I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I've ne I never read a later one, so I don't know how they go. But they do. They're very sequential. So, like, what had happened before matters. It's really difficult at first. And then you get into it and you're like, all right, we're good. And you, you realize like, ah, does it really matter if I know what the main soul, the stun soul, the Tagalans? What? I don't know. Actually, I do know what they are now, but here we are. Listen, every week one of us picks a comic book they like from the stack of comics. This week, those stacks were relatively small. We call that one the pick of the week. We will talk about that book. We will talk about other comics from the week. There will be a patron pick. We will answer mail if we have time. There's spoilers. You know what that means. I don't have to treat you like a child. Connor, you thankfully had the pick this week. I did. And you know what's interesting is... Everything in life right now is in a transitional period. It feels like everything is changing. Things that were the same for years. And one of the grand traditions of comics was that this was a year to fear if you were a comic book reviewer because the week of Comic-Con traditionally was always the week when they dumped a ton of books for whatever reason, mm -hmm. all the publishers. It was Comic-Con week. If we would always have to spend Wednesday furiously reading our books at Comic-Con in the hotel in order to write the review and do the show before going back to the, the convention floor. So it was always a week like, oh, man comic-con week so i had that in my head when i went to look at releases this week because it's it is comic-con week as we record and you as you hear this and i had eight books i don't know what the hell happened eight eight books bob eight eight you, i mean usually you're looking at like a 20 25 book week on comic-con mm -hmm. but i don't know what happened it's very interesting about that is because i when, when we were in the thick of it i used to always think it was very i understood it but it was ultimately very antithetical to release all the things that week because if you wanted to promote your book or whatever, so you release it that week, no one will have read it. Yeah, it's weird, but it happened. Or like year. all the news would come out that week. And I was like, how do you even sort through this? This is just a, a dim. I remember, you know, years and years of us sitting by the pool at that Marriott 
Mm-hmm. Was it the Marriott? Anyway, I have like a two-inch stack of comics or like a three-inch yeah. stack of comics to get through before one of us, some poor bastard, had to go upstairs and write the thousand-word review. <laughs> All the <laughs> other ones swam in the pool like a jerk. All right, let's talk about this week's pick of the week, which was Tales of the Titans, number one, from DC Comics, issue one of four, written by Shannon and Dean Hale, who are YA authors, drawn by the incomparable Javier Rodriguez and letters by Hassan Osmane Oahu. At least two of those words are said wrong. This was a nice throwback to the days of yore in the 80s in which the New Teen Titans was the most popular book at DC, the second most popular book in all of comics behind the Uncanny X-Men. And so, of course, they released companion books, and one of those was Tales of the – it was back then Tales of the Teen Titans. And when they would do spotlights on characters and do sort of side stories with characters. So here we are, now that the Titans are back as <sighs> – I'm trying not to say this. The main team in DC. Like, DC is so fucking messed up. I, I forgot that, like, the Justice League isn't around anymore and the Titans are supposedly the main team, which is silly. And I love the Titans. And so here we they're back together. It's basically the lineup from the original New Teen Titans. And they're living in the Tower and Bloodhaven. We know all that stuff from reading Nightwing. And here we have a Starfire story. And what I really liked, amongst many things, is that I feel like Starfire in this new DC has gotten the biggest short shrift since the new 52 reboot, where she was like a sex bot in that first series that <laughs> I remember the writer who did that, but he, he was that guy. She's just not the character. She was, she's a mishmash of the animated version and the old version. And no one seems to know who she is, at least of all me. I don't know what her personality is. I don't know what they consider to be canon. I don't know if she dated Dick. I don't know any of these things. So it was nice for me to spend a slightly oversized issue with her sort of figuring out what this Starfire is and what she means to the team and who she is as a character. I just don't know. I really don't. I used to love Starfires in the old days of the Titans. I really had that instinct. I was like, I don't, I kind of didn't know she was still around. Like, I know she's a presence like in culture because right. of Teen Titans Go. And I think she's in the other Titans show too, yep. right? The terrible, terrible version of her, yeah. But yeah, I feel like I've seen her in an actual comic in a very long time. I mean, she's always there, right? Like, when the Titans mm-hmm. show up, she's there. But I don't know anything about her. Like, we know Nightwing, Cyborg, to a certain extent. I feel like Donna Troy needs this treatment next, because she's the other one where it's just like, what does this character mean anymore mm-hmm. in a world of three Wonder Girls? Wait, 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 wait. So there's there's obviously Wonder Woman, and then Donna Troy, and then it's Wonder Girl? Cassie Sandsmark still, who was the blonde Wonder Girl from the previous continuity. And then there was the new Brazilian Wonder Girl. I'm going to go ahead and discount that. Yeah. So this was fun. This was super fun. And I think a lot of the, the fun came from the Javier Rodriguez art, which has such a wonderful blending of cartoony, fun, wonderful action, and just great little storytelling elements and beats. Starfire ends up having Oracle in her ear because I guess Oracle now runs the Titans like she used to run the Justice League because the Justice League isn't around anymore. And it's slightly awkward because they both dated Dick. And so he gets to do lots of fun little graphical inserts with Oracle being in Starfire's ear or just little fun things that came out of that whole 2000s era of artists who would do graphical inserts. And I don't see Javier Rodriguez much anymore. And it was really nice to see a big, fun action, bright colored comic in which she fights like a tentacle creature and it's all green and yellow and she's well, she's supposed to be gold but she's orange and red it's just a lot of great color here purple landscapes it was a really fun pop arty comic and the end of it i felt like i knew starfire better and i have a better sense of who she is and that was to me the main goal of reading this mm-hmm. did you check this out i don't think you did i did after you made the pick and it was a light week i was like all right i have time to do this so i you know i went, went through and read it it was fine you watched a lot of teen titans go right i've seen yeah i've seen i've seen With your kids yeah, yeah. Do you yeah, see any of that character? I mean, I've never seen it. So you've seen any of that character in here? Or? I really feel like those versions of those characters are definitely apparent in the sort of modern versions of them. Certainly the cyborg and Garth in this. Mm-hmm. It's a little chicken in the egg. I, I can't say that I'm like a, a huge expert on those old comics. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, you can see like where they made them appropriate for kids or TV or whatever. And I feel like I see that reflecting back. I don't. I don't know if she's reflected in it. I mean, basically her character in the She's cartoon, kind of like bubbly and kind of... Yeah, but like it's like the... Simply sweet kind of in the cartoon. Yeah, but also like, it's not like she's dumb. She's not stupid, but she's just sort of fascinated by normal things. But she's so powerful that like there's not a lot of danger around it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
This is a little more like a conflicted teenager kind of thing or not, not, not even, but like, I mean, to me, I read the metaphor as no one pays attention to me because I'm a princess, i.e. pretty, i.e. powerful. Mm. I, you know, you don't need me for things. You don't appreciate me. She doesn't like being called princess. Yeah, but I also feel like I'm like, that was a little put on for the story because, you know, they got a long history or whatever. I'm sure there's been a thousand stories. Like, she's the heavy hitter on the team. Yeah, powers-wise. I, th- I think, if I'm recalling correctly, and it's been a long time, but the original Starfire was sort of like, kind of similar to the cartoon, sort of wide-eyed, mm-hmm. you know, not naive, but wide-eyed sort of visitor to this new planet. It was taking everything in, like, oh, wow, look at that. Oh, look at that thing. And mm-hmm. so... It doesn't really work here anymore because she's been around so long. So what they've done in this comic, I don't know if this is like a long time Starfire thing or not. I can't remember. Is that she feels everything extremely deeply. And it's not just joy, it's pain, it's anger, it's sorrow. So anything she's feeling, it's such a distinctly strong emotional reaction that she has trouble regulating that. I really liked the part where she's hanging out with these two Tamarian girls. And one of them makes like an offhanded reference to the race of aliens that had kidnapped Starfire and experimented on her. Mm. and. The scions? The scions. And she makes, I guess, a joke about praising them because they're always praising yeah. Exile, their God. And Starfire snaps at her. And I really like that scene where mm-hmm. she I mean, flashed back to her being kidnapped. And I liked any kind of insight into her personality because I feel like she's often just overlooked as, in I, the background. I mean, I don't think it's a terrible idea. It is a very, like, sort of, I'm, I'm not trying to be dismissive. It's a very basic, sort of, YA idea that, like, don't be ashamed of your emotions, mm-hmm. which is kind of what this is. Like, and right. so the thing is to get to that message here, this one has too many emotions and and that's her thing, which feels to me like it's very much like a comment on being a girl in the modern world. Yeah. You know, people will tell you that and it, it gives her something. I feel like we need to decide on what her age is and how long she's been around because I feel like she would have quite a bit of self-esteem at this point. Sure. Yeah, and that's part of the mess of DC in general is not knowing any of that stuff. Right. So if she's the younger character, but if she's like a vet, like if she's been doing this, you know, if she's been in the league for 10 years, then she's probably doing okay because she's around really competent, caring people. It's not like it's not like it's not like the Titans is like a dysfunctional group of people. No. At this point, you know, it's that's not like, you know, the X-Men, like that's their deal. You know, the, the Titans are like, they're all very close and supportive. And so, you know, they kind of had to shoehorn that in to do do a story. But if, you know, if that's the case, she overly feels and her emotions do different thing actually structurally there was a bit earlier in it where cyborg said something along the lines of like oh she's really way more effective when she's passionate about her or whatever and i was like oh that's interesting you know like if you're right. trying to form a personality for this character then then maybe that's one do you remember go. back in gotham central where they had her show up for an issue where they had the titans show up vaguely like she walked into the police station or something right. they, was, they mentioned that she was gold skinned and they were i think they colored her that way because in the original you know, the old days in the 80s they couldn't color her that gold skin so mm-hmm. they gave her orange skin right and i always hoped that comics would run with what they did in gotham central and color her with gold skin because now she's mm-hmm. just sort of orange and yeah she was always closer to gold i don't know i've always wished they'd done that but they never did it doesn't matter that's just something i thought of when i read this i love the way this looks i don't know where javier rodriguez has been doing or the, even the last time I saw him. Spanish, right? Maybe he's doing comics. Could be other books we're just not reading, but. Or, I mean, even just like Spanish market, or European market comics or something. Big, you know, tableaus. Who knows? I wonder if he's drawing this whole miniseries, which is, it looks like it's just be character pieces. The next one's Raven. I bet not. It looked really nice and mm-hmm. it was really yeah. fun to read. And I'm just flipping through it fast. I'm just looking at how much the colors pop, but he does the colors as well. Yeah, that's kind of his. Really mood. strong, really strong work. I enjoyed this one. It was fun. It started the week with a one in eight chance of winning. it's it's pretty strong and so it didn't have a ton of competition let's talk about void rivals number two which is the second issue of the robert kirkman lorenzo de felici series that is set in the new shared gi joe transformers world but it's not about gi joe or transformers and i think that's my favorite thing about this book and also last week you and jim talked about what was the pick of the week book uh 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 <laughs> the, the, the 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 hunger in the dusk was that it it's, i think making that up. all right well anyway i think that's what you it's talk called. about how it was a really accessible fantasy series it was a yes it wasn't like lost in jargon in jargon it was creating and didn't have a bunch of slang that you didn't understand it didn't make you feel like you were doing homework it just dropped you in in an accessible way and that was the mark of a veteran like g will wilson and here we have kirkman i think doing a very similar thing with sci-fi in that I'm not bogged down in these two alien races. They don't talk funny. They talk like regular people. And it's just easy to tell the story that way. 
And I'm already invested in these characters in this world as a result. And then, you know, Kirkman is a veteran of creating these new worlds and dropping you in very quickly into them. And also investing those characters with personalities that are not like, all, there was a thing in Invincible. There's all these aliens, but those were, they were just dudes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Alan the alien was just like a guy. And you're like, I don't know, man. I don't, I just, you know, like, <laughs> and he does that in here with these characters. I don't know that it's similar to the Wilson book last week, but in a way like you aren't looking for a human in this character because they're just humans. Like they're right. not. Right. They're not trying to uh, mask the metaphor all that much. You know, it's these two people. And basically, it's, there's two races of people. They've been raised to hate each other. They're exactly the same. You know, it's just like a slightly different set of it's words around Star their Trek, cultures. The, the original series yeah. metaphor where well, it was an episode where it was, it was a Frank Gorshin episode where the aliens with black and white faces. One side was black, one was white. And then mm-hmm. the big reveal was the other aliens were just opposite. One side was white, one side was black. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what we have here. I mean, actually surprised me because the first issue was about these two aliens crash landed on this planet or comet or whatever it is stranded having to try to work together even though they hate each other to build a ship to get off using the parts of their two ships and i thought this was going to go much longer but in this issue we get a ship and we're gone and i thought that was an interesting way to quickly move the story along i really expected us to be doing the whole struggle thing longer you know getting to know each other longer but nope we're off running and we run into a super deep cut transformers character that i didn't even know i didn't either i i looked it up that's because i was like well this must be something so i just googled the name and it's a it's from transformers but i don't remember it at all and i think the art like we talked about the lorenzo de felici art last time like the the ship stuff is really great mm-hmm. it's a sci-fi book that moves mm-hmm. and is fun i'm really interested in where he goes it's just so fascinating to take this hasbro world for lack of a better term and mm-hmm. tell a story involving none of those characters or at least none of the recognizable ones and, and just telling your own new characters in that i think it's an interesting thing to do yeah kirkman's pretty good at distilling stuff down and not trying to be too impressive because his character's personalities come through really well and i'm actually just flipping through it right now because you mentioned the art and i was like let me take another look at this and, and you're right like the thing with the ship and the sort of broken up you know, exterior of it, it's all really cool, but there's pages, it's just, you know, folk talking, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't notice it. And again, that's the mark of like the thing I was, there's another book I read this week and it was terrible. <laughs> and this, I was just into it. I was going along with it. I think art's really kind of lovely in its character simplicity. Yeah, there's a minimum of lines. It's not like a Darwin Cook or even a Javier Rodriguez style, but it's still pretty minimalist. And the features of the characters are kind of minimalist. Like they don't have very distinctive faces. The gems kind of do a lot of the work on their foreheads, but I like it. I think it's really interesting how similar they are. Like it's, it's like anybody looking at like, you guys are almost, you have the same color skin. Your little uh, head jewels are shaped slightly differently or different colors. Other than that, they are identical. And it's like, nobody sees different hair color. One is green. One is red. Right. No, but I don't know what the people on. Let's if you go back to the beginning, do they all have the same color hair? Yeah, no, they have different. No, they're all kind of purplish and brownish in the one. Whatever. It's fun. Like, it's not like I'm not going to be here. and like, my God, this is spectacular. But I really enjoyed it. You know, it's a page turner. I, I want to know what's going to happen. The best thing about the old G.I. Joe comics is that they had no right to be that good. <laughs> right, right. There was no reason, you know, and but every once in a while, they'll they'll take these properties and, and just, you know, do a thing with them. And because and, Kirkman is who, who he is, is allowing these Vietnam vets to work out their issues in front of these kids. Marvel. <laughs> Marvel I learned movies. a lot. Let's talk about Hawk Girl number one, uh, the newest Dawn of DC book. This is a one of six. And I applaud uh, DC for putting the the one of on the cover of the first issue. <laughs> they didn't used to do that. Now they are. Jadzia Axelrod is the writer, and Amanse Noelpan is the artist. And I like Hawk Girl as a character. I like both Hawk Girls, slightly partial to the original one more than the new one, but I like them both. She's been around a long time. I had a lot of problems with this comic. I didn't think it was very good. It wasn't very good. It's interesting because you said, you know, I, I don't really know Hawkgirl outside of the old J- Justice League cartoons. Really? I mean, yeah. Like, oh, that's a different Hawkgirl, too. Well, that's, not her. that's at least close to this one, right? Shara Hall? Shara Hall is the one from the, in the cartoon and the original one from the comics. This is Kendra Saunders. Okay. Well, visually, it's pretty similar here she's got the big mace she hits things yeah 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 i mean ultimately she's still a talker but again like it's it's funny because this is like the week of characters that we're like we're we're this this female character seems to have been underserved because we're aware of her but that's it you know like i couldn't tell you the last time i saw hawk girl in a book 
I couldn't tell you anything about her character. Well, you have to be a psychotic DC person like me to know. I mean, she's not, right. you know, I like her a lot. She's a good character. Okay. But so was this her? Cause I feel like I would suspect that reading this, like this version of the character is relatively new in terms of her problems and place in the world. Yeah. I, I don't know. To me, the bigger problems were like the whole labored Fox metaphor drug down the beginning and the end of the book. I, I really disliked a lot. Mm-hmm. The book opens with this woman walking through the city and she gets approached by this other woman. And the woman walked through the city, apparently it's supposed to be in like her 50s or 60s, but she looked like she was 25, mm-hmm. which was a real problem. When you turn the next page and it's a flashback to her as a kid 50 years ago, I was like, wait, 50 years ago? Is she magical? Nope. Oh, but I didn't put that together. It was the same person, I think. Yeah, but... same person. It's just a, some fair. comic artists can't draw people who aren't sexy 25-year-olds. And then later on, Kendra's having lunch with her college friend. And she stands up and I was like, Kendra's not like She-Hulk. Like she stands she up here. and she's like looming over the table and she's got muscles rippling everywhere. And I was like, she's not mm-hmm. that character. She's not Big Barda. Mm-hmm. It was just not good. The art. It was serviceable in most ways. Storytelling wise, fine. But like, and look at the last page where she's crashed into that house. And like she's giant. Her arms and legs are giant. I will specify though that like that's just the design of that character. Like the thought that the storytelling was was fine. I thought they kept going back to this sort of shot of her in the fetal position on the floor in front of her couch, which was, you know, a little heavy handed, but it does the job in terms of storytelling. But like as approaching this character, yeah, she was. But the thing is, I don't know what she's supposed to look like in DC because right. I never see her. It was all weird. I did, like it just felt all these disconnected things. It felt like we were trying to cover too much ground like there's a so there's a alien girl and apparently there's an alien part of town and she has a corgi who speaks and like i just felt like a lot of comics will have like so okay so you got the you got your pizza dog then right. you got your captain marvel's cat thing and it's like let's put a cute animal in there there's a bunny in the last mary marvel series and it's just i was you know, these have been done like i get it you want to put a cute animal in there but yeah we're past it now. So if you want to do something utterly derivative of these little trends that have been going on for five years or so, or 10, who knows, like, I guess you can, but it immediately makes me not care. It's nothing original there. We see one scene where she's fighting alongside Superman and power girl and black canary. And they're, they're like, Oh, the justice league's gone. So you should go off and just like, you guys are right here. Literally fighting alongside as the justice league. You just need some communicators. It's just, it's just doesn't make any sense. And that's the biggest problem with a lot of DC books is that what is going on doesn't make any sense for whatever reason, for whatever dictate from above. Like, why why mm-hmm. not have a Justice League? They've never given a, a reason not. So why are you having them all fight together anyway? Mm-hmm. It's just bizarre. Why isn't there a Justice League? Like, what's it's the... Some, some nonsense with Dark Crisis or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've already removed that from my brain. I thought it would have been stronger to start on that action sequence with her and the not justice league as opposed to that extended sequence about the woman and the talisman and everything it just was a weird i didn't know what she was doing there either she's fighting with the justice league and this other purple lady shows up and i just what are you doing there why it i don't know like it was too many things being shoved together i thought was kind of interesting is like they're trying to talk to hawk girl and i was like okay i'll learn about i don't know anything about her personality what's this going to be like and like they've kind of got a tiptoe around her i was like oh, that's kind of interesting and it sort of relates to my idea of her character from the justice league cartoon which i've mm-hmm. again i spent more time with than anything else again not the same character no i know but like i don't know it didn't really uh pay off i guess and then we have like this i assume that this version of her in college angry at cops and a black lives matter protest right it just all feels so on the nose to me. Does that mean she was in college three years ago? Yeah, during the pandemic, I guess. Doesn't make any sense. You're right. Doesn't yeah. make any sense. Listen, this is tricky, but I have no problem with these politics in any way. But it's worn so on the sleeve or what? And like, it's just like, it's shoehorned, I guess. Basically, if I notice it, then I don't think it's done well. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm like, oh, that makes sense, then it's fine. Whatever. But yeah. It wasn't a compelling comic at the end of the day. No. For someone like you, this should be a really good issue to tell you who she is, what she wants, what her life is like. Mm-hmm. This is Hawkgirl, who I love, but is, Hawkgirl mm-hmm. is not Batman. You need to give some context to people who might be wanting to check it out, but don't know a lot about the character, other than maybe they've seen her in the background of a bigger book or in a cartoon that's not even her. You got to do that work. And they, it, this was written like this was issue... 47 of a long running series like there's already been a lot before who was this other character i didn't know who the alien girl was Mm -hmm. apparently she's been around before like there was no context 
give in to anything in the book. Didn't read like a first issue. I think at the end of the day, I spent time with her and I was like, I didn't know what was supposed to be compelling about her. She seemed like she was in a bad mood yeah, all the time. And, and like, that's fine. You know, like you, you can do that. I'm not saying, oh, you got to take a female character and make her likable or whatever. But why? Yeah. And, and what, what are we going towards and what's, you know. Who is she? What does she want? It's like the most basic questions uh-huh. you need to ask in a story. She was just kind of lost. And I don't know why. And I don't really know what she was like previously. So I don't know if this was always her. Yeah. I thought it was kind of a lost opportunity, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how strong the pitch was. Guardians of the Galaxy 184 slash 4. Mm-hmm. So I still think this is okay. I think the art's the real big sell here. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm actually surprised you're still reading it. I figured I was going to be hmm. on my own here. This was the best one of the four issues so far. Yes. And I like that. I know, like, we've got the thing with Groot and then, the, like, it's all been blown up. But the fact is, like, over the past however many number of years, they deconstructed the shit out of this comic book. They killed Rocket at one point. There's, you know, there's this thing with, with Groot. I'm, I'm not exactly sure why when we have this, like, set of movies that is really fun and exciting, you know, and, and like, they could have done some adventures. Some fun right. adventures with air quotes stakes. Right. Instead, like in, in a time when like the world, this, these characters have literally never been more popular. It's weird to not do like fun stories with the group. And, you, you know, you do your, you do your conflict between them. You put your danger in you or whatever. But like, you know, fourth issue, we're just we're getting to rocket like he's destroyed in this already. He's just sad about his friend. But I will say like the size of the problem is pretty big. And I like that from a comic book standpoint. I like that, you know, they had to bring the, the the story together. And I feel like this is at least working on bringing them back to the point where their characters we kind of recognize. Well, they're finally together at the end of this issue, at least. Right. Minus Groot. It's everybody yeah. else. But I really like the scope of this. I loved that. I mean, like the, the story that's going on with Rocket here is that he's protecting this one planet against the Groot fall and he, you know, doesn't sleep. And he builds all this stuff and he's keeping everybody who's lost their world safe in this place because he feels like he has to. That all tracks like that's mm-hmm. good stuff. He builds a robot who is a little Groot robot, you know, because he misses his friend. It all goes wrong. And I thought that was drawn really great. Like I, yep. I get why Kev Walker came over here from Predator. <laughs> but I mean, but they're utilizing him like he's getting to do really big, cool shots. And, and um, you know, Matt Hollingsworth on page colors. 19 with the big Groot fall face. Yeah. And I mean, oh, it's just so it's really cool. Yeah expressive and emotive and it's even just a like a wooden whatever the fuck it group fall is really nice has mm-hmm. such texture and weight to those teeth i really it's like really the good. page before it which is the explosion is kind of floating in space yep. with bits and so that that composition you know it's a good comic book it's not them you know rolling around in space and having adventures and you know fooling people and getting fooled but you know compared to i've i mean like i've been trying to get back on a guardian's book for years and this right. is the first one in a long time that I've been compelled to keep reading because yeah, I didn't even recognize the other ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I had like before the movies, I liked the Guardians. But, but I mean, again, like not like forever, but the version of them that exists, the Abnett well, landing, Abnett landing run, which was a long time run. ago. Yeah. But that defined the characters as they exist now. One of the things I think is interesting reading this is that the characters in the movie are not the same as the characters in the book necessarily. I think uh, I think Rocket has absolutely been adapted to be the same character, and that wasn't so far out ahead of time. Peter Quill is a completely different character. Right. Drax is leaning. Yeah, he's not silly in this. Is this the one in the beginning where he where was that the last issue? I think it was the last issue is that like they were with people from Peter Quill's. That was the last year. There were people from Peter Quill's world and they're like all a feet snobby. Yeah, British last people, time, yeah. And, and he kills them all. <laughs> Just, I'm curious to see now what we're doing, because like we've, we've had almost a little character piece, right? We had the Peter Quill issue. I think we had the mm-hmm. Gamora issue. And now we have the rocket issue. And now they're back together mm-hmm. as they go to deal with whatever Groot has become. It'll be interesting to see now going forward what actually happens. It's a challenging way to start the series, but it's been interesting, I think. But at least they're introducing us to them, you know, through the, like, each one is like, oh, I spent some interesting time with that character. I kind of know where we are. I think that's been a good job of setting the table. I think the threat is credible. You know, who knows what will happen. And again, you know, Kev Walker, one of my favorites. Just the, the guy can do no wrong. It's just a great, great artist. I love him doing anything. We are five issues into the six-issue Dead Romans miniseries, and I feel like I'm finally starting to get a handle on 
who the characters are, what their names are, what they want, why they're doing anything, why anything at all is happening. I really like this issue. I do too. I think I want to say last issue, I felt like I had it down, but I kind of, I kind of don't remember, but like it's been coming into clarity with each one. And I think there was our problem was when we first read that first year, it was like, this is really cool and it looks great. Yes. I'm just a little lost, but I think it made up for it. A, you know, kept me reading so that I got to it. And now like, I get it. I know what the stakes are. I know who the people are. I'm compelled by this story. I'm fretful and excited and anxious about them all coming together again and what's going to happen. It's beautiful. The art's wonderful. We had actual backstory here. We got to explain mm-hmm. the motivations of one of the characters. We had their names, which I had a real problem with before. We know why. Now there's this ragtag group of multi-ethnic Roman soldiers, and that makes sense. Which is really interesting because that's what it was. Right. There weren't enough Italians to just be a bunch of Italian guys. It was everybody. And so, and there's a bit in here that I really liked, which is like, they're looking at something like, this is really savage. And he's like, in a generation or two, they're going to have clean water roads. And and all that's true. Like that is a thing that happened. Now, is it right? Is it moral? Is it just? Those are questions, but those are the things that happened, which is interesting. It's the justification for pacifying the quote unquote savages, the Germans, is that a few generations, they will be civilized. They'll have clean water. They'll have food. They'll have an economy. They'll have growth. They will have peace. And as you said, those are all true, but does it justify the right the, the violent pacification of the savages? No. Well, it, it in, uh, yes, in, in no. written here in this book, it was definitely like it was very reasonable. I was like, oh, it doesn't make sense. Now, there's a lot more to it than that. There's you know the spirit of conquest and whatever, blah blah blah. The Roman Empire did not exist solely on on the altruism of the ultimate aims of the people. That wasn't a thing. But it's part of the reason why the whole thing is why we're still talking about it. It is fascinating. It's because life is complicated. There's no easy answers, despite what the internet wants no. to think. Yeah. Batman Superman World's Finest 17, Dan Mora and Mark Wade. And this is the final issue of this crazy metamorpho-based arc. No, no, no. no. Scared me. This is the elementary finale. And I feel like this was the arc where they just threw everything and the kitchen sink into it. And I just loved it. Mm -hmm. Especially, I almost wanted to give a pick of the week just because it had the classic correct version of John Jones with the regular head and the Mm -hmm. classic costume. We haven't seen that head in forever. I really did like that this was a pretty straight up superhero story with a super villain and insurmountable odds. And it kind of put like Superman was kind of in the backseat. Like he was yeah. just like, we got to tell we got to go get him. <laughs> but just tell we can't. We got to wait. We got to go. And like, just wait. He's like, well, let's go get him. We got no choice. You know, and, and it's weird because usually he's the guy who's, you know, making sure they make the right choice. But he was really acting on his instincts. What do you do when there's a villain that if you get near him and punch him, it gains your abilities, right? So you got to keep mm-hmm. Superman away. And that's going to be frustrating when you're seeing all the destruction and everything mm-hmm. being ravaged on the people. And and I liked the big reveal because they're like, we have one ace in the hole and here it comes. And, and you saw mm-hmm. it sort of a blur. And I was like, oh, my God, what is it? Like, I was actually like mm-hmm. turning the page. like, And it, was, it made sense. And it was cool. And then, you know, more characters showed up. Hal Jordan and Mark Wade's version of Captain Marvel shows up. And there's a little joke about his name. Like, mm-hmm. This book continues to be incredibly fun, but I thought this issue really showed how well this creative team balanced like all the major characters of the DC universe into this arc. Mm-hmm. And it was really yeah. satisfying. Everybody got a little piece and a little, little moment. And How do you feel about the uh, next up for the issue? <laughs> I did raise my eyebrow a little bit. It's next is the untold origin of the Superman Batman team. And it's CC Riddler and Magpie, who was wow. the villain in John Byrne's Man of Steel miniseries in the Batman issue where they first meet in that continuity. Mm. So that's a nod to that. I don't know who that vertigo, I guess that's count vertigo in the back. I'm not sure. But then at the bottom we have the return of boy thunder, which is the character who everyone got mad at us about, who was the boy that they saved and he was their sidekick for a while. And then he sent off into another, another multiverse yeah. and he had be- anger issues. I guess he became Magog. Yeah. And those are clearly kingdom come Superman and Batman. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, like, you, like you just said, kitchen sink. Go yeah. for it. You, you know, you've earned that. Do what you want. Have fun. Dan Mora edging closely to maybe getting a possible cease and desist letter. Whoa. And you'd even like him in the first issue. He might need to stop a little bit. Wow. He, he's going he's gonna to want to slow that roll. No one has turned more quickly in the mind of Josh Flanagan. 
you know, everything yeah, over time, you learn about it. it, you get context and you're just like, I think it's the volume of the thing. And I think oh my God. on its own, it is not an art style I particularly love, but as he keeps going and doing all of these books and that sort of, that joie de vivre of superhero-ness, like what, I mean, like there's not, I can't think of yep. anybody else right now who's a better match for the stories that Mark Wade wants to tell in these books, which are little havens of gosh, of good old superhero comics in there. And he is just leaning fully into it. You know, like sometimes, like, remember when Liam Sharp comes along, you're like, this is amazing. Wow. And then a little while later, you're like, what the fuck are you doing? It's still amazing, <laughs> but it's not, you know, right? like you want to be blown away. But in the same, you know, you're doing this. So you have to do this thing the way you're supposed to. Well, it's funny because he's so prodigious in his output. Like he's doing a whole second book with Captain Marvel or Shazam, whatever they're calling it. You expected the pages to get less complex, you know, right. like, and this oh was- man, where'd the backgrounds go? But no, like this book is bonkers with detail mm-hmm. and action and panels and characters like so many characters and any comic artist tells you the more characters in a book the harder and longer it is to draw mm-hmm. and there's like 50 dc characters in this book i just can't help but think that like mark wade you know who's worked with some greats you know must just be feeling lucky like i, I got oh, yeah. this guy who can work fast and i mean he like something's wrong he must be an asshole i don't something <laughs> you can't have that much going for you but yeah, no, it's the right people at the right time. Blade. Blade is back. 29 or number one. I actually looked up the number and I was like, 29, that's it? <laughs> Just stick with it. <laughs> Just stick with the number. Right. I only read this for one reason. Yeah. I don't like Blade. I don't really care. But Brian Hill was one of my favorite writers for a while. And then he went and worked on the TV shows and kind of backed off from comics. And he's back. You interviewed him. Wasn't he going to take yeah. a comics break for a while? Because it was getting really hard on Right after... I talked to him. There was like a Twitter thing where he's like, I'm stepping away from comics. And then he was like, I mean, not really, but but now. And that's pretty much what happened, which was it's just interesting because he was really the young rising star. He did do a book at a super small publisher that I that I picked up and read the first issue of. I remember I don't remember the image publisher. Things came out. I don't, it wasn't image. It was smaller than that. It might have been something like Viper or something like that. But he did do he did do a book that I read the first issue of and forgot to keep reading. So mm-hmm. he did kind of keep his toes dipped in the water. But now I mean, going back with Blade is like a bigger. Yeah. Weird deal. Yeah. You know, they, they'll let him in. They'll, they'll, they're like, can you do a black character? We need you to, you know? And uh, I actually asked him about it, and he was sort of like, you know, I like it, and I don't like that. That's always what that guy is sort of asked to do because, like, he's got great range. He can kind of do everything. You want to be beyond the, as a people, right. as an industry, that just, hey, we're doing Blade again. We'll get the black yeah. writer Rolodex out. Yeah. We should be beyond that at this point. Yeah. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have black writer at Blade. I'm saying, no. no. Brian Hill should be offered. Other books. Like he, yes. did, he did do detective comics for a while, but like he should be yeah. offered any character because he's a great writer. Well, it's just like Kelly Thompson should be offered the Avengers. Right. Like she should she's just a do now, a female character. You know what I mean, though. Yeah, like, I know then let her do the Justice League. Yep. Would be awesome. Let's do that. Right. <laughs> There's no Justice League. What Connor, yeah. why would they do I that? I forgot. It's the Titans. I've never really had much affection for Blade. I think the most I ever enjoyed the character was the time I saw the very first movie, which was bonkers. And uh, and I, you know, didn't expect anything out of it because that was before there were superhero movies. But it was very silly. And actually, this character, when I read it, it I was like, this sounds like the Wesley Snipes to me when he's sort of walking mm. around. I can hear the sort of growl. You know, it's a fairly typical. There's a world ending threat and Blade was tricked into helping them out. And then he finds out it isn't what it seems. It was fine. It was good because Hill is very good with dialogue and characterization mm-hmm. and pacing and all those things. The general theme of it wasn't super interesting to me. Elena Casagrande, I, I was I was talking to Connor ahead of time and I thought she she did a different book, but I knew she did something. She did this. I cannot remember what book she was on before, but we liked it. Yeah, that's definitely true. I dug the art. I guess this is like a name you don't forget. Elena Casagrande. I will read the next one. Jordi Belair on colors. She was on Kelly Thompson's Black Widow book. Ah, yes, yes. I like that book a lot. Yeah, it was a really good book. I'll take the Brian Hill doing these superhero characters because he's really good at it. I'm thinking it'll come together and be worth it. I can't tell you that this was a spectacular first issue, but better than your average Blade number one. Is it one. a mini or is it a long going? I don't know. I don't even bother looking anymore. <laughs> so those are the books we wanted to talk about this week. When we talk about the patron pick, it's going to be all but one book I read this week talked about on the show. Wow. So there you go. We covered the gamut. Those are the books we're going to talk about at patreon.com slash fanboy. The patrons can vote at the books or the rundown. Any book will do. And this week, the going away winner, the winner by a, by a wide margin was Big Game, number one from Image Comics, written by Mark Millar, art by Pepe Larraz, colors by Giovanna Nero, and letters by Clem Robbins. And it's official. 
We now have a Miller-verse. Yeah, I was wondering if that was a known thing before, or this was... I didn't know it, but you know, we always talk about the Miller... It's just a way of talking about his books. He's got the Miller-verse of his right. imprint of books. And now, we got us a crossover. Someone ring the bell. All the main characters, at least in several of his books, Nemesis, and from Starlight, which I was so excited to see, and then Kick-Ass. I had to like, wait, is that that guy? Like, I really, I really had to... Uh, and when they started talking, it was like, old man, you don't run it. And I was like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, this is that dude. And then I just missed Goran Parlov. Yeah. Terrible. We'll talk about Pepe Lorenzo and stuff. Kick-Ass and some vampire book I didn't read and the new Ambassadors book. They're all in this. Who's who's together. the guy on the cover in front of Nemesis? Nemesis, I don't know. I know who he is. There are many characters I don't know. Is that the character from Wanted? Is it? I think so. Could be. I didn't know about. I don't want to say half, probably not even half. Like I, I recognize some of them, but also it had been so long and I usually only read like the first issue of a lot of them. Well, at one point I didn't some like super them. smart guy shows up. I didn't know who that guy was. Like there was, there's mm-hmm. some characters here I just didn't know because I've not read all of the Miller books. And right. these are books that are spanning back more than a decade. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have not been keeping up with all of them, but there was enough here that I knew what was going on. And mm-hmm. Pepe Larraz is terrific. He's one of those guys that broke out a few years ago at Marvel and then sort of yeah, disappeared. It's gorgeous. As you were talking with Jim last week, he's joined yes. Miller's world and will never, never to return. Last week, Jim Viscardi said that he like whenever somebody shows up on a Mark Miller book, that means they're you're, they're gone. They're only in Mark Miller books and then on and then. And so I flip and I was like, oh, another one's going. Like it, it, I thought about <laughs> it actively, but then I, I was also looking at. It, I was like, I see why. You know, yeah. Mark Miller, if, if nothing else, like he has a great eye for art yes. and the art that will serve his stories best. And this is a big old bombastic superhero story, and Pepe Larraz excels at that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you exactly what's going on again because there's a lot of these characters I'm not quite sure, but you know, that opens up with these bad guys killing some version of the Justice League, so that there's the Batman characters dead. They talk about having killed the Green Lantern character, and then you see like basically was the watchtower. And it's kind mm-hmm. of the same concept as Old Man Logan, which Mark Miller wrote, which is, you know, uh-huh. the villains finally wise up and team up to fight them all at the same time. And I thought the, the thing same. was that basically, the, I mean, the conceit here, and I was fairly well, is that in 1986, the supervillains killed off yes. all the heroes. They took over the world and they made everybody forget that they'd done it. And so they've been in control since, you know, nearly 40 years, basically. It can't be 40 years. It can't be. 86. Can't be. Yeah. It's like 10 years. 37 years. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've read that before. I mean, I definitely read the... the sure. Again, Old Man Logan is all the villains teaming up to finally take out all the heroes. That's fine. But I feel like I've read the villains take over and make everybody forget about the heroes. And that's not a, necessarily a damnation of the book. I'm just trying to remember where I read that before. Or maybe even be a Mark Miller story. I don't know. But it's definitely a familiar thing. Do you know what the best art in this was? Where? It was the two pages of the guy from Starlight. Yes. The light coming the zip into tone the window. on the windows. And if you go down, it's more cartoony on sort of the last page. Right. You know, it's very uh, epic on the sort of page before it. And it's it's very serious and illustratory. And then so the next page is sort of the same. They're it looks gorgeous. like imminent, really. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I don't know, the, like the art is varied throughout the whole thing. But the sort of different styles that he uses complement each other really well. I don't know. This is... I didn't read enough of that X-Men stuff to know if this is like a standard for him. But the different styles that he was incorporating within his own styles as he goes from like cartoony to very illustrative i think it's really cool i think i mean i think the thing is as you said like it's nothing you haven't seen before but i would say that that's pretty straight on for mark miller like he takes a thing that is known and he and he puts his little his voice on it it's a great artist on it and it comes out feeling like him he's not all that different than robert kirkman in a way right like he has a good way of of stripping things down instead of explaining too much over and over. And here you have a comic that is full of characters who I either kind of remember or don't remember. But by the end of this first issue, I was like, I know where we are. Like I understood where we were and I'd only read maybe a third of the source material. And even mm-hmm. then, not like all of it. That's not nothing. That's something. Boy, that art really helps. <laughs> I wonder this issue one of five. So that's a very short amount of real estate. But that's what he did in... um. The last one, the the ambassadors, and and this is tied to that. Right, I'm assuming this is going to be a volume situation. He's going to do it like Terry Moore's doing is what he's going to do. Right, he's doing twelve or whatever, but this is you know five, and he'll go through it. I mean, at least he's not overstaying his welcome on these things. I mean, if anything, the thing that we've always said about Mark Miller is that his stuff was too short; he didn't give it enough room. Yes, 
when I saw the ambassadors come back, I was like, oh, this is where they're going to come back. Because that other series ended right away. I'm like, wait, you needed one more here. <laughs> I liked Kick-Ass trying to join the ambassadors. I thought that was a fun scene. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, this was fun. I, I think it's also kind of like Void Rivals in that the title is so meaningless to what it is, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't give you any indication. Void Rivals gives you no indication this is a shared G.I. Joe Transformers world. And this big game book or the title least doesn't give you any indication of what is in the pages. I mean, the cover has nemesis and I guess the guy from wanted and maybe these other vampire characters I didn't read before, but that's it. Like if I saw this on the stands, I just was like, I don't know what that is. You know, it gives you no indication of it. So it's interesting how things have changed. My random complaint that has nothing to do with this book specifically is that like, what happened at comic book covers, man, this low Put a pin in that, put a pin in that. That's the first email we're going to do. Okay. So let's just rate this real quick so we can move on to that. Ratings. Ratings on, Big game, number one, for Image Comics. I'm going to give it a four out of five. On a basic level, I would go with a four, and I think that's correct. But there is, to me, a certain disconnect in that I kind of don't care about most of these characters and what's happening. Like, I like the bits of it where I recognize the characters, and I can understand and go along with sort of the big thing, but I kind of don't care. So I'm going to go 3.8. Okay. Which is a subjective thing. Sure. I think it is very well done. I think the art is magnificent. And I think that this will make some people very happy. But ultimately, like, I'm not so much the audience. Are you going to read the rest of it? Are you going to stick with it? I'm not sure. Oh, wow. Look at you. I'm actually not sure. I have no vested interest. You sound like you were enjoying it at the end. You said you were all into it. I said I understood it and I got it. But, like, I have no vested interest in what happens. And I remember I really didn't like... A lot of those Mark Miller. I did not like Nemesis. I did not like Wanted. You know, so having them be the center of it isn't really. I look at this for the art and for the craft, mm-hmm. but I'm not super invested. I'm into it. I want to see what he does with it. Mm-hmm. We're in this stage in media where everything is this, right? Everything is yes. Take all the characters and throw them together for multiple worlds and comics. Sort of started that idea, not necessarily, but popularized. Oh yeah, it. and so might as well do that here as well with the Mark Miller stuff. Mm-hmm. Now I guess we have officially all in one universe. Not yeah. that that makes any sense, but it doesn't matter. I think it was 100% successful at the thing it was trying to accomplish. That's what I think. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That is where you can go and vote to add a book to the rundown. If you're a patron, any patron can vote. But if you give it the $5 or higher level, like this patron, you get a superpower live on the show. It is bestowed upon you. And we're going to bestow a power on Brandon Thompson. Brandon Thompson has the power to move the clock back three minutes. That's useful. I think we might have given this power up before, but if so, then we've got multiple people that run around like that. I think, I think I did it, but it was like 10 seconds. This is a three-minute situation. I mean, that's, that's huge. It's huge. Think about how many things. Because 10 seconds, you don't really have enough time to 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 work it out really you just you, you like like you could prevent a cup from being spilled right three minutes you really can you can do your your math on that let me you ask can you this really fix something can, can it be like like can it be contiguous like you'd be like three 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 go way <laughs> no. back is there some sort of i think this is the question right before I, I feel like this is a duplicate power it happens uh i know i think you can do i think and I think i'm gonna say the same thing that was said before which is you can do it once every 24 hours oh wow that's so good. Better use it wisely. Like we had that conversation five years ago, right? Yes. Yeah, probably. Because that sounds like one of my early ones that were, <laughs> we'll say more imaginative. <laughs> Listen, it's been a lot of powers in it. My brain is cooking, but that's uh, that's what I think. Hundreds. I was really surprised when I sort of looked at them in, in aggregate. I was like, wow, that's a ton. Maybe Brandon and the other person will be like the arch nemeses to each other. You never know. Well, I think Brandon takes that one. <laughs> well, but, that's, but that's the thing about, you know, if you're writing that story, the genius would be in how to figure out making the thing that looks less obvious be able to beat the thing that is more obvious. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can go give it a power at the $5 or higher level like Brandon and get your superpower live on the show. And also that's how people support the show directly. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. And you also have ifanboy.threadless.com to buy shirts. ifanboy.com slash support is our digital tip jar. ifanboy.com slash Amazon is where you can find Booksplode books. And bookshop.org is you can find those links on our Booksplode pages. All those places are the places people go to help support the show. We thank you very much. And now let's do the email, Josh, about comic book covers from Tony B. When I was a kid, 
30 plus years ago, a comic book cover did two things. It was a marketing tool to help you know what comic book you were looking at. And it was a storytelling element. Essentially, it was a snapshot of some part of the story, gave you a cliffhanger, or maybe even it was a feint that got you thinking about the story one way before it went another way in the actual pages. I still remember those Avengers covers where they would black out the headshots as they were forming a new team, or those Spider-Man covers where their cover would have easily been a splash page within the book. Flash forward a few decades, and I see so many covers now with material completely unrelated to the actual book that I've really had to disconnect using the cover of the book to tell me anything about the story. I treat them now like separate pieces of artwork that are alone used to drive sales, so nothing like the original purpose. That got me thinking and eventually led me to this set of questions. Number one, do you have a comic that the cover is so pivotal to the book that the book loses storytelling ability without the cover? Or in simpler terms, what's your favorite comic book cover, a story and cover combination? And two, what comic do you remember glancing at and being so annoyed with the cover that you neglected to pick up the book and missed out on a great book? And three, what comic do you remember having a beautiful cover that you purchased only to determine the story within was not good, not good at all? I don't know that we can answer any of those questions, to be honest with you, but I think we can talk about covers. I can. I agree. I was about to say earlier, like, it's a problem, except I don't know that it is. Meaning, comic covers are terrible. Like, not not all of them, but but just like the general attitude towards covers has morphed so much from what it was. It changed in 2000. It changed with the Ultimate books. Yeah. If you go back and look at all those old Ultimate Spider-Man books, they were just generic pieces of Spider-Man art that had nothing to do with the book itself. But also just like the design on them was terrible. I remember that. I didn't even know to call it design at that point, but I remember looking at the logo and the trade dress of it and just being like, this is horrible. Well, somebody somewhere figured out that it made more sense to just have a, a pinup of Spider-Man on the cover than it was to do anything else. And so out went dialogue balloons, out went anything from the specific issue itself, it was just literally a generic Spider-Man swinging through the city image every time. For the most part, there was some variation on that. But for the most part, that's what it was. And I think you're looking at the way things have changed in comics in terms of how people buy comics. Yes, I think that there's something to it. And then like my idea about what a good cover is may be valid, but it doesn't actually make any business sense, which fine, I can agree with that. I mean, think about it when you were a kid, right? You would go to the comic mm-hmm. store and you had a handful of money. And you were going to buy some comics that look good, that look fun. And mostly you determine that by looking at the cover because you couldn't really flip through the book mm-hmm. for the most part. But now most people are adults who know what they're buying. So the mm-hmm. cover doesn't matter anyway, or they're seeing a little thumbnail on a website. So the cover doesn't matter anyway, or they've pre-ordered everything from their store. So the cover doesn't matter anyway. It's like movies, right? People sometimes went to the movie theater, not knowing what movie they're going to see. Mm-hmm. They would just go and say, well, let's see what's playing. And we'll go to the movies. And now it's like people don't make their entertainment purchases at a whim anymore for the most part. Everything's pre-planned. So it's like I have my books I'm subscribed to. They come no matter what. So it doesn't matter what the cover is. And half the time, I don't look at it. What were we looking at? This was offline, but we, we saw some image from some Marvel thing coming out. And... It was the artist was, I don't know, it looked like Cassidy. I think we couldn't quite tell, but it was such an uninspired image. Right. And then on top of that, because that's sort of subjective, but it isn't also. Like you can look at it like this is a great cover image. And so many of them are just kind of bland. Then the other side of it is that like the, it, this is really across Marvel and DC specifically, is the design for their covers, the logos mm-hmm. have gotten incredibly just bland like it looks like i just learned photoshop and right. now i'm doing cover treatments for marvel well guys the chip kid are no longer around you know right i know but like so I'm, and i'm looking at like last week's pick of the week hunger in the dusk great cover great logo good treatment on the thing like it gives you an idea about sort of what's going on it tells you what the genre is then this you know you're looking at at the big game like the drawing is nice but it doesn't feel like a cover to me it doesn't tell you anything not only that, but like it just visually, it doesn't pop in a way. It's all dark. The placement of the characters and the canted angle, like it's kind of nice, but it really feels much more like a page turned inside the book. That's like the first page of the book or the last page of the book. Right. It's not a cover. The logo is terrible. Yeah. Again, it's just bland. And I think it's A, because people kind of don't care anymore, like readers or anybody. And it's been done so much that it's probably getting really hard, you know, to think of anything new, but it's almost like they just gave up in a lot of cases. So when we notice that there's like a really good cover, it shows. I think the Void Rifles cover is not very good. I'm looking at my iPad right now. I think the cover is not a good cover. If you had put a gun to my head, I couldn't have told you what was on the cover. It's just, it's not even a very clear image. I'm not sure what I'm looking at. It's not a good cover. Guardians of the Galaxy has a good cover. It has actually a dynamic image, rockets in the foreground, 
we're focused on his mm-hmm. gun in his hand. Oh, that He's is tra- a good cover, yeah. That's actually a really good cover. Starfire is a homage to the old Tales of Teen Titans. Hawkgirl's a yeah. pinup, but it's a first issue, fine. Blade is terrible. I'm looking at last week's book, uh, Amazing Spider-Man. And that's a Ultimate Spider-Man cover. That's a generic drawing mm-hmm. of Spider-Man that has nothing to do with what's inside the book. And then we're also going to talk about the fact that, like, A, the cover, you're right, cover has no relation. Often, you know, it's not the same design. It's never the same artist. But you remember, that, like, it was a thing. The artist who drew the book was the one who did the cover. Yes. It's gone. And some of the really interesting covers that are out there tend to be one of the many variants that nobody ever gets to get. Oh, yeah, yeah. I get it. There's a business there. But, like, put the best cover on the thing. So think back. I don't like Glenn Fabry all that much, but he mm-hmm. did all the covers for pretty much every vertical, but he did all the covers for Preacher. He did every single one of them, and it's a very specific style, but the covers were all related to the narrative of that story, and it was consistent, right. and because, you know, Steve Dillon wasn't doing covers, which he shouldn't have. Now, <laughs> as a piece, like when I say I don't really like it, like it's not my favorite style, but it worked with that. They came up with a thing that told the story in the book. I feel like we need text on covers again. We're getting that more and more. It's been a thing more lately. I've even seen a bunch of dialogue balloons. I think they're experimenting more with the cover. But the fact of the matter is the cover no longer serves the purpose of mm-hmm. catching your eye on a newsstand and having a yes. kid fork over 75 cents. That's, that's what it fair. used to do. And it doesn't have to do that anymore. So now it can be much more generic. It can just be a piece of art from the files. You know, it doesn't You'd really matter. You'd almost think, though, that given that lack of constraint, then like... Go nuts. You know, these Right. The artists, like, you've got the chance to do it. And instead, like, so much is just like, bleh. You know, like, you used to be excited, like, oh, there's a John Cassidy cover coming. And, and he's like, well, here's a cover. I don't know. I mean, I, it's probably unfair to just use, but I know that he's done covers that I was like, what is this? You know, look at the um, yeah. look at the She-Hulk covers. They're great. They're graphic. They show the character. I think they have something to do with the narrative. I know when they had fancy dress tea day, like, they had that. That would seem to fly in the face of what we're saying, but that's a very specific choice they're making to ape romance right. books well no it's also specific to aping that but also the john byrne covers like roll said specifically right. that she loved those and wanted to uh you know and the covers it. are like then that the last issue that's got that dude pouring her tea before that it's got right. right cat they're still related to it in some way but i'm scrolling through my you know downloads here on comiXology and maybe half of them are like oh that's interesting that actually relates to it and then the other half are just pinups that may or may not have anything to do with the book itself. While we were sitting here, I will say, in my moments where I was thinking about what I was saying and listening to you, I was flicking through Comixology, and I looked at, there's a lot of masterworks, and I thought, I'll mm-hmm. open up one of the masterworks of mm-hmm. Avengers or something like that, and I can find a good image to put on my wallpaper. I did this earlier, while we were, mm-hmm. while we were talking, and I have a cover of Avengers number 196, and it is okay. uh, Taskmaster. He's a green background with his blue, white, and orange suit. So that color-wise works. And it, it says, the Avengers, anything the Avengers do, I can do better. He's looking for men who like to kill, introducing Taskmaster. I mean, it's telling right. you something. It's making you want to read it. It's a graphic image. This is probably, a, you know, like when you learn stuff early, music that you hear when you're a teenager is necessarily more exciting than music you hear when you're 40 because it's the first time you've seen something like that. But I remember seeing covers when I was a kid that have stuck with me, I remember Walt Simons and Thor covers as just being like, those don't look like anything else. And it is fascinating. Or those Frank Miller Wolverine covers or the Todd McFarlane Amazing Spider-Man covers. Right. I Googled that image. I found an eBay listing that just yeah. showed me some other issues underneath it. And I've see the Hulk 340. That's the, I think it's McFarlane. It's Wolverine and Hulk reflected in his claws. Oh, um, yeah. Next to that is... Avengers number six, first issue of Baron Zemo. And it's very similar to the Taskmaster one, you know, introducing Zemo and the Masters of Evil. And there's like three mm. boxes of text. Next to that, Avengers number eight, introducing Kang the Conqueror. There's a big arrow pointing at him. Like, they just don't do these things anymore. They don't, mm-hmm. even a new character introduces. It's not like. I think for a while, like, there was an idea that we're going to not do it like old comics. The old comics aren't cool. Right. And then they got away from it and started doing sort of different graphic things. But what happened was that ended up becoming really bland over time. Yes. You know, they would be just these illustrative things that kind of aren't that interesting. And they're not covers anymore. Like, it's not like you're making it like this needs to be a cover. This needs to pop. This needs to stand out. This is an art form unto itself. Yeah, you know what? This is A good example of this is recently when they relaunched the Titans book. I think I sent this image to you. I think I put it on our Discord where I took the 
original first issue of the new Teen Titans, and I put it next to the new one. Same characters in the same positions, and one was a hundred thousand times more dynamic and interesting than the other, and that was the mm-hmm. old one. It was dynamic action. It had words screaming at you in the page. It was big and bright. The new one was like they were very dourly walking towards you in a straight line. Mm-hmm. Oh, no information on the page, nothing. And it was such a difference in the way covers are designed and viewed now. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you need a big splash page image, like the first issue. You want all the characters in the book to be sure. there, and you want. But it's just it's, that to me was the big example of how boring covers have become versus how they were in the 80s or whatever. Let's give some shout outs. Sure. Let's give some accolades of people who are doing the thing right. Jen Bartel does those She-Hulk covers. They're fantastic. Look up some Dan Mora covers for the world's finest stuff. They're yep. great. They're, they're super fun. Bruno Redondo's Nightwing covers are spectacular. Yes. They're not necessarily narrative with what's going on there, but visually they're extremely evocative. They're very, just like his, his inside stuff, but it's like, it's like a different kind of thing. I haven't always been the biggest Alex Ross fan, but the guy makes a comic book cover, you know, like, like he gets it because he comes from that time period of sort of having a striking image. Well, you know what? It's interesting you say that because when he originally signed the deal with Marvel, because he's been doing a ton of Marvel covers, he did all the Hulk mm. covers for a while. They initially made all those covers variants. And so huh. he said, no, this is not why I signed this deal. I want everyone to see these images. These are the right. covers. Like you said, they tend to take the really interesting and fun ones and make them variants. And yeah. no one ever sees them. And he's like, no, I'm not doing this if they're variants. I'm doing this if they're the covers. Cause oh, that's awesome. My goal is to have people see my art, not the five people who bought the variants. The David Aja covers for sure. like, uh, Hawkeye and other stuff. Like they're very sort of sparse. And so they really like. You can want backgrounds and stuff in the books, but sometimes on the cover, you don't. You want the thing on it to pop more. And there's different ways to do that, obviously. You know who's the best? Hmm. Ryan Bolland. Ryan Bolland was the best. Yeah. He did all those Fables covers uh, in addition to lots of other things, but yeah. It's interesting. Everything has evolved through the industry and covers. Is, we've talked about it before, how oftentimes you don't even look at the cover, right? You just dive right in. And no. so that's on me. But it's also on the cover, right? Like if it was evocative, you'd be like, whoa, look at that. But like, think of all these images we have. I'm just like, I'm looking up sort of covers and stuff. So Green Lantern, when Hal Jordan has all the rings on his hand and he's doing the, you know, on his fingers and he's he's, yes. he's grinning, you know, evilly. You remember that forever. Spider-Man, no more. Amazing Spider-Man, number 50. It's on my wall. It's Peter walking forlornly in the middle. Speed lines are coming all around him. And then like behind him is a large image of Spider-Man with his back turned to us and kind of looking backwards. Demon in a bottle. You know, you've got Tony Stark looking like hell next to a bottle of Canadian whiskey and his helmet with a glass knocked over. Killing joke. You know, these stick with you so yeah. much. Like, oh, Phoenix, Dark Phoenix. Like she stands up, she grabs the X-Men logo. No one ever messes with the logo anymore. Yeah. That is just a bad Photoshop two layer job that gets <laughs> slapped on top of everything. Right. They used to. Ugh. They used to mean something. It's a different business now. Yeah. 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 It's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough. I love a good cover. Okay. You know what? Let's make a commitment here. Okay. We're going to look up the covers. Not look up, but like when you're reading the book, make sure to note the cover. Okay. And and we should call it out when it, it I does. I used to have a feature really on iFanboy when we, when we used <laughs> of articles. I, I did the best that we can covers as, long, mm-hmm. as well as the best we can panels because they were. Yeah. I'm happy to make a commitment to take the cover in. I think that I'm I'm not pulling my weight in that way. Well, thank you. Tony for writing it. We didn't answer any of your specific questions, but we did talk about covers. So <laughs> there you go. Contact at ifanboy.com is where you can write in. You can also write in for our Media Explode show by putting Media Explode in the subject line. And you have, well, you've got about 24 hours if you listen to the show on Sunday, if you want to get an email in to Media Explode for our summer mailbag because we're recording it this coming Monday. So you still have a little bit of time if you're listening to this right away. Let's talk about other shows. Last week, we had our book explode. Was that last week? Oh, yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. I guess it was. Two weeks. Yeah, it was last yeah, week. Yeah, I guess yeah. We had our book explode on Is Lonely at the Center of the Earth by Zoe Thurgood. This coming week, as I said, we have our Media Explode Summer Mailbag show. In a couple of weeks, we'll have our Justice League War World show. It's going to conflict with my travel again, so I'm going to have to delay that one a couple of weeks. And possibly, depending on, on how things go, what people want to do, we might cover Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or, or oh, Blue, okay. Blue, Blue Beetle. <laughs> Different show to cover Oppenheimer. <laughs> But we'll see. It's possible we'll cover those movies, but we may not. We're not making any promises. I promise you I'm not going to see Blue Beetle. I promise. Yeah, but I was thinking maybe you'd want to see his turtles. I kind of do. See? There you go. I kind of do. Yeah. 
You can find our library of over 1,300 shows and counting over at ifanboy.com, wherever podcasts are sold. You could do a study. You just like listen to these people get old and then like what tropes that we get into over time that are very predictable where I'm like, I don't know about these people's politics in their <laughs> comics. Like it's, it's you know, <laughs> it's the guy who thought he was one way over time is much the other, I guess. You can follow us at ifanboycomics on Instagram and find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out and sometimes for the best of the week in panels where and possible. You can follow Connor and I individually on Instagram at C.S. Kilpatrick and J.A. Flanagan. We both use the same naming convention, but it was completely unrelated. Didn't plan it. Because J wasn't available, but J.A. always was. So that's how that happened. I assume you're the S same way. I'd always used it for like my email or whatever. So I just did it. Yeah. I just did it. I wasn't thinking about it. That's just, just did it. You can subscribe to our YouTube at youtube.com slash IFAM where that's, you can find this show as well as all of our old video shows that you can find us there sitting in shorts on couches talking about comics as well as San Diego shows. If you never watched a San Diego show, those are lots mm-hmm. of fun. Those are all on there and tribute to San Diego weekend. And please consider leaving a review or a star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps people find the show. It helps awareness. Any show you listen to would appreciate that. So thank you very much. And that's it. We're done. You can put the air conditioner back on. And I mean, I have it on right now. My, my, brain. my microphone is excellent, though, so you can't tell. My, my air conditioner is right next to my desk. It's a yeah. floor model. Yeah. So you would, you would not. Oh, care. one of those. Yeah. We had one of those. I got rid of it. it was, I, couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. The sound. My old building I live in has giant windows. Mm-hmm. No, I, I get it. I bought the biggest air conditioner for the window I could find, and it still didn't fit in the window. Because they don't make them big anymore. They make them small. Anyway, no one cares about that, or should. Oh, man, I could totally talk about home window <laughs> air conditioners. Well, we'll be back next week. Until then, I'm Connor. You want to look into a dual inverter because it changed our lives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh, the internet's dad. People are crazy and times are strange I'm locked in tight, I'm on a range I used to camp